Machines do not have inherent emotions, right? So if they only show the empathy to gain trust from human beings, to bond with human beings, they ought to be responsible. Otherwise, it will be disastrous. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 347. Today is Sunday, the 3rd of November, 2019. My name is Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast. This week's interview is with Michel Zhu. Michel is co-founder and CEO of Juji, an entrepreneurial initiative to help create responsible and empathic chatbots, or AI helpers as she likes to call them, that can converse naturally, listen actively, and automatically infer users' interests, preferences, and needs to provide personalized guidance. In this conversation with Michelle, we look at how the team have been using AI to understand the other via text-based interactions. What have been some of the key challenges and learnings in the process of developing Juji? And how users, you, can best implement Juji to create an empathic chatbot for your business? You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Now for the interview. Michelle Zhu, what a pleasure to have you on this show. You and I got to chat a little bit beforehand and to get to know each other uh, because I came across you when I discovered Zhuji. So, Michelle, tell us, uh, before we get into Zhuji, a little bit about your background and, and how you ended up in California where you are. Okay, sure. Thank you, Minter. Thank you for inviting me on your uh, podcast. So, I'm Michelle. I'm a co-founder and the CEO of Zhuji. And by training, I'm actually a computer scientist. So my area of expertise is in this interdisciplinary area that intersects artificial intelligence and human-computer interaction. So my whole life so far, my whole career, has been trying to use computer technologies to better understand people. So for example, how people use computers and how people feel when they use computers, and also including people's characteristics. For example, how open-minded they are, how cautious they are, so that we can build smarter computers or basically using artificial intelligence to build smarter computers to adapt to people versus another way around. So before I started GG, I actually have been working at, I had worked at IBM Research and IBM Watson Group for almost 15 years in this very similar area of work. So then one of the uh, kind of ideas uh, we have found in the research is because currently we can have a lot of data, people generate a lot of data. And by analyzing this data, we can better understand people. But next question is, what we can use data for? So we found that this, this is a really uh, potentially the frontier of computing is that once you have that deep understanding of people, you can really make computers smarter and being empathetic. But in the meantime, how can you make computers also more responsible for people's lives? For example, gave very impartial, gave very personalized advices that can really help people in their lives. It seems that with Watson, where it's going is that they are becoming more and more specialized and understanding, let's say, the interactions with people in specific zones like medicine or mm-hmm. therapy or mm-hmm. uh, engineering. And there are different ways that you have 
interactions going on that are specializing. In other words, really, at this point, the machines are having to bite off only one segment because the idea of trying to do it for everybody is just a nonsense. Is that is that a fair so what, statement? So what's your question? What, <laughs> you have any questions? So well, it, the, the point is, or the, the, the statement is, in order for machines to be more intelligent, they need to portion off and specialize in a certain area in order to manage all this big data that we're talking about and, mm -hmm. and create more human interactions, or at least anyway, more efficient, proficient types of interactions. So I think, uh, 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 how I put this one, I think uh, it's uh, okay to go dive down into the domain, right? So I, you, I agree with this. So for example, uh, if you wanted to understand a person's career choices and uh, what would be the career advices you want to give this person, maybe you wanted to go deeper understanding people's interests and people's passion about the job, about the particular profession. Makes sense, right? And if you wanted to give people financial advices and you wanted to see how people's spending behavior versus people's work behavior, right? So you want to go deep into all these different domains, so which is fine to do that. But however, another part uh, we also found it is uh, doesn't matter what people do in what area, in what domain. And uh, people are people. I just gave one, I'm going to give you a very simple example. So let's say if a person who's very cautious, right, doesn't matter what uh, this person does at work or what this person does with money or what this person does with his or her children, there would be very consistent behavior. That's why we call those uh, human characteristics and actually preserved across potentially people's behavior. So you can do both, right? So if you have enough data, uh, you could do go deeper with the, what we call the domain-specific data to um, uh, figure out a more domain-specific, uh, context-specific uh, characteristics. Or you can first uh, understanding uh, people's general characteristics. So you need both, basically, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a very analogously, probably you knew this uh, in uh, chemistry, you have this periodical table, right? So the periodical table talking about the basic elements in the world, their irons, their gases, their different types of material, right? So this material can be composed together into what we call the alloy, right? Composites. So it's a very similarly, we are looking at this one from a very kind of an analogous angle. It is people have this, what we call the basic characteristics. So for example, extrovert, introvert. And uh, for example, very uh, conscientious driven, very careful, very persistent versus uh, very easygoing. So yes, uh, they may have a different behavior uh, in different uh, uh, area, different domain, different contexts, but the basic characteristics probably are much harder to change if it's not due to, let's say, big lifetime events. So let us, uh, Michelle, get into uh, what reason how we connected, which is Zhuzhi. Tell us uh, mm -hmm. what is Zhuzhi and what was the inspiration for creating Zhuzhi? Okay. So Zhuzhi was really created on the premise is it is uh, we wanted to use computer technologies to better understand individuals because we really have this firm belief everyone is born with a gift, right? Everyone could find a great position in the world. So if we can use computer technologies to understand each other better, maybe we can really reach world peace. 
So that's why when we started a GG, we had this the GG basically it represents stand for two Chinese characters. It literally means getting together and assembling together. So we want to use these two words to really symbolize if we, if we can use computer technologies to better understand individuals' thoughts and feelings and the world will get together better. And really, as I said, really to reach the word peace. So that's our actually very idealistic thinking. However, once we started GG, we found that is in this global data rich but local data poor situation, actually, it's, we don't have enough data to analyze individual, right? So then uh, we started because our work uh, before our knowledge has been also creating this intelligent human computer interaction, including conversational systems. So we think about, hey, if you can have a conversational agent to chat with people and people will actually show their true, show their true selves, you can use that to better understand people, to better help people. That's how GG actually arrives at today. We are creating an AI platform. Perhaps it's the easiest AI platform to enable others to create what we call it empathetic and responsible chatbots. So the idea is to learn more about ourselves through the machines as opposed to creating necessarily just an empathetic chatbot. There really there's this, this meta plan of understanding right. how a frown maybe in one culture is different from a frown in another and, and observing those differences to help us understand why when someone speaks loudly, they're not necessarily being extroverted. They might be in one culture afraid or in another culture exuberant. Maybe just that. Maybe just they couldn't hear her. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So um, in, in, in essence, for us to get a little bit more into the weeds, let's start with if you could explain to us how you define, let's say, prosaically empathy. So empathy actually by uh, our uh, simple definition is by dictionary, right? So uh, it's in a human-to-human -human communication interaction. Empathy means the abilities to understand and feel the feelings and share the feelings of others. So, for example, if we're talking about something happy, then I can feel you're happy. And if you're talking about something tragic, then I can feel that you feel oh, uh, kind of uh, unhappy or maybe miserable about that. So this is what our kind of on the surface understanding of the empathy of the human human to human. And how does it, so how does that change when it comes to artificial intelligence? Because oh, okay. there isn't much emotion in artificial intelligence as the two words seem to appear. Right. A great question. So from uh, uh, artificial intelligence, from a uh, virtual agents, AI agents point of view, yes, you're right. They don't have the emotions of their own, right? But they can demonstrate it their understanding, their sharing of other people's feelings. So that's the one you could actually make machines or maybe enable machines to show their empathy. So very simple example, right? So let's say uh, you have a, a conversation with the computer, with our chatbot, and, you, and the, the, the chatbot was asking you, how are you feeling today? How are you doing today? And you said, Oh, you know what? I'm very disappointed because uh, I made a presentation. I spent a lot of time making this presentation, but my presentation actually practically failed and people didn't like it. 
And uh, for the machine to show the empathy, the machine would say this, uh, oh, I'm very sorry to hear about that, right? And because uh, you are from our conversation, I learned that you are a very creative person. I'm pretty sure you can maybe, maybe perhaps uh, you can find the ways to recreate the presentation and make it better. So as you can see here, it is uh, from an empathetic perspective, these machines not only understand your words, how you express your feelings, but actually can read you in some way, quote on reading this, uh, uh, this user, hey, you are actually creative to kind of make that encouragement, right? You may be able to come up with creative solutions and make your presentation better next time. In the work that you're doing, Michelle, there's there's this one element which is understanding what's going on in front of me. So breaking down the the grin, the smile, the the raised eyebrow, the vo the words coming out of my mouth and understanding the the meaning and the feelings that are coming out of the person in front of you. That's one work. The other one is is being empathetic in the eyes of the person in front of you. So mm -hmm. in other words, one is more like passive. I understand, I read, I see, I feel. The second one is you think I'm being empathetic because then you then you are because you're the only one who's going to be able to judge actually whether the machine or the person in front of you is empathetic. And this is activating the sense of empathy. Break us down how that goes in your work. Yeah. So first one, I want. I don't want to mislead. Uh, uh, I don't want to mislead the audience. In the current our work, uh, we focus just on understanding the users from their text input. So this is including their various linguistic cues, the words they use, the frequency of the words they use, the syntactical uh, pattern of their sentence structure, as well as uh, also the punctuation marks and the emoticons, right? So we, we currently, we don't actually look at their uh, facial expression. We don't look at their gesture. We don't basically, right now, ours pretty much, we so-called in our area, uni model. It's just on the verbal, textual, converse, uh, uh, text, uh, text communication, right? And just, just, one, want to... just one question then. And are you including the speed with which I type? And, and you know, do you have any models that talk about the, the, the not the velocity but the, the 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 how much I'm hitting the keyboards because that also could be significant in terms of my emotional state correct but we don't we can't do that right now because you are doing this on your computer right. and we don't have access to your computer so we couldn't do so we started actually to analyzing the your response patterns would be useful so for example for certain conversation for certain questions you have more hesitation. For example, you enter your responses slower, or you actually um, uh, take a longer time to enter the response. So this kind of can be can be captured. So you could potentially could be useful. So we haven't actually used that information yet. So uh, going back to your original point, so going back to your original point, it is this: you are absolutely right. There is the passive, the what we call the detection part of it, trying to understand. Uh, what, are, what the user is trying to say and what this user is like. Then there's a proactive part of it actually to show the empathy, machine's empathy to people, right? So in this human computer conversation systems, they always three important components, three parts. 
So first part is you can think about sensing. It's about interpretation, interpreting. Second part is about interaction management. But in a conversational system, it's almost about dialogue management, conversation management. Third part, it's about uh, what do you call it, the response generation. So it's kind of like a human, right? So we are talking about uh, things. I saw your nodding. This, of course, you have more signal. You could also talk about, you, you, you use words, right? So first one, I'm just sensing. I'm just trying to interpreting what you're trying to convey. You're trying to communicate it. Even though I understand you perfectly sometimes, right? So then I still need to think about how should I respond to your signals? For example, even you ask a question, I may not immediately respond to your question. I may ask a, a clarification question. I may making a comment, right? So this is the computer needs to do the same thing. So the third part, once I decided how do I respond, what should I, how do I, then I need to do, figure out how, what should I do? Then I figure out how. So computer does exactly the same three things. First one, just sensing, get all the signals as possible and analyzing it, interpreting it. So this one, you can think about it visually. Computer basically is trying to extract a set of user attributes, also user meanings, right? It's called intent, all this information. Then the computer will decide how I best, uh, what should I do to best respond to you? And then the last part, then computer actually synthesizes its response, right? So it's basically from a passive sensing to the proactive uh, responding to the user. Great. I just want to get into that last one, which is the, the, the proactive element. What are the kinds of signals that you are finding are strong at, at being interpreted as being as empathic? So, for example, uh, there are many signals you could use to demonstrate it, I guess you are, if I understand this clarification question, if I understand you correctly. So you are saying it is uh, what signals the user, that the computer uses to show empathy? Yes. That's correct, right? So there are many signals, right? So one of the signals could be the user's current uh, verbal text input, right? So for example, one of the, uh, uh, one of the signals the user said is, I am very disappointed. And today is the worst day I ever had, right? So this is from uh, explicit signals from this one. And also second type of signals could be implicit signals. So for example, because of this conversation you have had with this machine for a while, let's say for 10 minutes already, the computer already sensed that you are actually very highly intellectually uh, curious. You also very much love new technologies, right? So. This is the one what we call it a, a system is reading between the lines. So then they can actually use the signals to say, hey, you are very creative, you are very open-minded. So what is the most, uh, uh, what is the state of our technologies actually has attracted your attention, see? So this way you feel like it's like a human to human conversation. You feel, wow, you really get me. You really understand me. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And so a lot of these things are gonna be probabilistic because mm -hmm. as uh, until you have the sum total of all the data of everybody you have to be operating in generalizations so this type of keyboard interaction this type of usage of of emoticons and the, and so on would 
supposedly be this type of person and therefore I'm going to proactively get into this type of response. That, that's, that's how you're, you're working these data sets. Is that accurate? And actually, uh, no, yes or no, right? So what we're actually can think about this one. We don't like to put people in different buckets, if you will. I don't like to, we don't like to give the labels to people. So you can think about the, another way around this is, it is uh, you can think about the person has, uh, let's say, millions of dimensions, right? So when we collect the signals, uh, these signals, the very vote will give the weights for different dimensions. So it, so it's not like we put in a bucket you want. So for example, one of the dimension is intellectual curiosity. Another dimension, let's say it's emotional, emotionality, which means how, how emotional this person will be normally in the face of the particular emotional context. So if we don't have enough evidence for you on this, emo, on this one dimension, hey, the system either can interact with you to learn more or the system would not be able to use that to, um, to engage you in that kind of aspect of a conversation, right? So for, it's almost like this. So like a human-to-human -human conversation, it's very one. So when I look at you, when I only interact with you five minutes, then I can only know very little about you. But I will use what I learned to, to further the conversation. I don't need all the information, right? The computer does exactly the same, right? So basically kind of think about this, like our biological signals. We have many, many genes. If you learn something, you have a higher understanding in that, in that dimension, right? So you're right. Once you have more data, all the dimensions will gradually will, will, will be a kind of like have more signals. But when you don't have enough signals, then you're looking at a certain what, whatever you can get, right? On the dimensions, you got a, almost like a, how do you say, on a layman's word, voted on, right? Have evidence on, have evidence. So which means, so this one I wanted to caution people to do is one. So for example, if our analysis show that uh, we didn't say that you are very careful, doesn't mean you are not careful. It just means that uh, we don't have enough evidence to show that you are careful, you are methodical, you are, you are anal analytical. So you see what I, mean? yeah, I do. So interesting thing here. I, when I went to university, I studied deconstructionism. So mm -hmm. decontextualization of words out of their text and then looking at the pure meaning of the words, Jacques Derrida and Lacan and so on. At some level, that is what you're doing because all you have when I'm typing in words are words that are appearing to you in a certain form at a certain speed and so on. But it, it feels to me like a first date because when you have a first date with somebody, a blind date, let's say, you come in blind and the first words are the first words and, and you're picking up cues, obviously in a human way where we're, we're seeing chemical reactions or not or there's a chemistry or a karma happening. But at some level, that's, that's, the, that's what happens at a first date. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, a computer could also immediately scan Michelle Zhu and try to figure out whether she's on Facebook beforehand and pull in where available data points to help me understand Michelle better, even though it's our first date. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, that is an advantage that computers could have. Is, is that something that you're thinking about or are people thinking about that? And, and what does that make you feel like? This is a great point again. So when my first time, we actually deploy a 
app, Facebook app, right, to uh, university school stu- university students. So they signed up with the Facebook, trying to just understand, the, trying to learn more about themselves. So actually, uh, uh, surprising to us, uh, we found that is ninety five percent of the students uh, has uh, under two hundred words on Facebook. Hmm. So which means, from our model point of view, we cannot really derive, like you almost said, it's a first state. We couldn't derive a very stable analytics for majority of the people, right? That's why this chatbot idea comes from. We said, hey, if we can use this to better understand people, people understand themselves. So actually, students volunteered. So students said it is. I don't do Facebook. I have other things. I have. I'm writing. I have written blogs. I've written journals. So this one, right? So, uh, so interesting one it is. So the reason we haven't done this one it is because we felt like it is like actually it's exactly what you said it is. We want people to express themselves within the context. So, for example, when you on let's say when you interact with a, a, a job interview chatbot, right? Then you to see how you how you going to um, behave in a, in that context. If you are talking to a, let's say healthcare chatbot, when you talk to a educational, let's your coaching chatbot. So we wanted to be more context sensitive. So you're right in a way it is if the data is more context sensitive, probably helps the better understanding of a person, right? So that's why we found that is huh, actually what what do I heard what do I talk about earlier this what called the it's really data poor locally for each individual. Mm-hmm. But of course, another way around, uh, we also, it's very important, uh, our uh, idea we had, we had, we started with GG, it is we want people to opt in. We don't want to go behind people's back to get their data. That's why we always ask people to opt in. We always tell them, hey, this is our data actually interacts with you. This is our machine learned. So give people a chance to correct machine as well. That's also Another way around, another way using uh, this very explicit interaction mechanism. So, Michelle, this leads me to a question which, on the face of it, might not be politically correct. But you talk about responsible AI. And if I had to imagine, the majority of my people who are listening are not from China. And mm-hmm. the majority of those people are going to say, well, you know, the Chinese. But mm-hmm. for having been there many times now myself, mm-hmm. I recognize that the Chinese are desperately aware and worried about privacy. Mm-hmm. And my thought is, can Michelle Zhu, can you, can you determine where your passion and determination with regard to responsible AI came from? Is it a Silicon Valley injected thing or is it more from your roots uh, in China or both? I see. It's it's definitely from our upbringing and also from the U.S. culture. I would say this is definitely influenced by both the uh, uh, Western and the Eastern culture. It's a combination, right? Because I grew up in such an environment, I kind of uh, uh, that's how I lived in both worlds. So responsible means it is uh, uh, actually in Chinese educational system, especially when the kids grow up. Chinese parents. Uh, are, I would say, will teach their kids to be more responsible. Responsible not just for yourself, responsible for your families, responsible for the society. So that's the kind of like when we grew up, that's the education, that's the upbringing we learned from. But in the Western society, the responsible also comes for the world at large, right? So that's basically the both world. So that one of the 
some things we discussed a little bit about it before the recording. Once you instill this sense of empathy into machines, so you know what empathy is used for in a human-to-human -human world it is to build relationships, to bond with each other, to gain trust among, among people, right? Yeah. So if you give this capability of the empathetic capabilities to machines, thinking about it is machines do not have inherent emotions, right? So if they only show the empathy to gain trust from human beings, to bond with human beings, they ought to be responsible. Otherwise, it will be disastrous, right? So for example, just a very simple example, if I wanted to make a machine, irresponsible machine who just understands people, the potentially could take advantage of people, right? So let's say that this person is very much like to play games, can become addicted to games, and you have a machine just to sell them games, let them to do more. That's bad for the individual. That's bad for the society. So that's why we wanted to, that's why at the very, very beginning we said it is uh, because we believe our machines really can exercise that kind of empathy to gain trust, bond with people. The second principle is utterly most important. It is that we, these machines have to be responsible. We cannot let them to be abused by some other, by, uh, by, by other forces. So they can actually become the, which means the enemies of the humankind that will be do harm. That, that's not. We will, we're not, we can't live with ourselves. You know, well, that really happens, right? It, it can be very manipulative. And, and certainly this is hopefully one of the things we can learn from your whole, uh, your whole project uh, of Juji. So when, when, when someone's using Juji, because I have gone on and I've tried to use it, mm -hmm. um, A, give us some tips as to the best, you know, what are some of the things that I should be thinking about when I try to program my juji and secondly mm -hmm. how do you instill that responsibility is there what are the mechanics for trying to render it appropriately responsible very 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 good uh, uh, great point again so uh, uh, currently actually just last uh, month and uh, I mean, in uh, October I gave a tutorial at this international academic conference called the International Conference on Multimodal Interaction to teach people how to create a, a empathetic and responsible chatbots, right? So that because given the uh, advances of technologies, it's very difficult to create one, especially if somebody who doesn't have the AI background, who's not a coder, who's not a computer programmer. So that's why our platform had this mission of uh, democratizing the creation of the AI agents, especially empathetic and responsible AI agents. So I actually wrote a couple of design patterns. So for people, because people like to see patterns, to see we can follow the patterns to design the best chatbots or best conversational AI. I just want to, I don't, I'm not, we don't have time to share all the patterns. I want to share two of them. So one of the patterns that is actually when, they, when you program a chatbot, maybe 80% to 90% of the time, people don't follow the chatbot's conversation. They always deviate it. So most of the time, you have to figure out uh, what, how you can handle this deviation. So our platform actually helps you to handle the deviation literally almost all, uh, probably kind of 80, 90% of the time already, right? But you still need to be cautious about it. So for example, if you ask a person a question, hey, 
how much why do you actually play a game of let's say 20 hours per week right so when you say why and people just said is i just like it it's not very kind of satisfying because you didn't learn about it. so in this case you wanted to be able to cautious about how you handle that kind of a that we call the user digressions right this one always think about this how people might digress from your conversation and i guarantee you literally 80 percent of 90 percent of the time people will digress right so basically uh, use our platform and use how we have a tutorial to teach people how to handle the digression uh, Michelle, it just makes me think that actually that's also the exercise of empathy yes. because you know yes. what, what i would say is this i i play 20 hours because i love the game and it makes me uh uh tired okay <laughs> but what could other people think what could other people be feeling at that point and then those are the digressions that empathy can bring with you anyway great all right second point second yeah. pattern yeah second so not just empathy actually to add it to your saying it's also to make the chatbot more responsible right so maybe give an article to say it is uh, a playing a long game what kind of a benefits and risks might be as i said it's really exercise that responsibility so second part uh, of the one it is uh, humans uh, when they chat with machines it's really very similar as how they chat with other humans, right? So be careful when you say something, always you have your instill what's so-called the background knowledge. Let me give you a very simple example. We observed in our chatbot and human conversations. So chatbot is basically trying to be, try to be funny, try to make a joke. I said, you know, whenever I have time, right? Whenever I, I, I'm a, whenever I don't work, I always chat with my AI sisters and brothers. So uh, what did you do outside of work, right? Sounds very innocent, right? Just a kind of a very simple chit chat. But when you say you chat with AI sisters and brothers, just be aware that the people may really ask you about that. So we have people ask our chat by said, so who are your AI sisters and brothers? What do you chat about? You see? So whenever you say something, because the humans are so smart, so when they say this something, they knew how they answer, how, how they're going to bring up, because they only talk about things they understand, right? But the machines, it's made by humans. So when you humans make machines to chat, humans better be aware of the machines also have, comes with a background of knowledge to actually continue that chat, continue that conversation. Right, so this is kind of a thing that we, we we definitely found we definitely found it out found found out. I love oh. that. I love that. Yeah, going back to you talking about it to ensure our machines to be empathetic, right? To be also responsible. So actually, we're currently collaborating with universities to automatically evaluate machines to detect. So, for example, a very simple example, we just actually uh, put this into our publications. So when sometimes the machines may elicit more personal sensitive information and the research already found already found about that people actually are more likely to voice those sensitive information sometimes maybe voiced unnecessarily right so now right now we want to put this evaluation mechanism automatic evaluation in place to actually warn people you don't need to uh, tell the machine so much about the sensitive information unnecessary sensitive information in, so actually where in, in human yeah. to human we say tmi too much information whoa exactly yeah. exactly right so we want to also teach chatbot designers chatbot builders to do that because many brands actually care about people's privacy like for example 
from a GDPR point of view. So in this case, uh, we have the mechanism because everybody, when they write the, the chatbot, they may not uh, they may not be aware because they cannot, uh, how do you say, anticipate how users may interact with the chatbot. So you put this mechanism in place, then they can make a chatbot more responsible, more empathetic. This is marvelous. Great insights, Michelle. It makes me think of uh, a study that I ran across that shows how human beings interact with dogs and cats, pets, differently. Okay. And, and here's the insight, is that when you talk to your dog, oftentimes you talk in doggy language. Hey, hey, Patty, here, come here, come here, kid boy. But you never talk to your cat that way. You talk to your cat <laughs> like a human being. What do you want? Oh, you want to come, come up? Come, all right, come here. You're, you're very much more uh, real. And therefore, they say that a cat is a better therapist than a dog. Uh, I, because you're more real as opposed to putting on a pretense or some kind of mask. Anyway, fun stuff, Michelle. I, I feel like I could have gone on with another hour with you. You are a font of wisdom, working on a really interesting area. Appreciate it very much. Tell us who should be going to check out Jiju, Juji, sorry, and, um, and how can people find out more about it and you, what you're up to? Mm-hmm. Thank you. So actually, any businesses who care about uh, 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 establish bonding, a bond with their customers, a bond with their employees, uh, or any businesses uh, wants to actually establish the deeper relationships and the better help for the people they deeply care about, and they, they can come to GG, right? Because uh, now our chatbots are on Facebook, are on websites, so they can actually turn into their static web-based, online-based interaction and communication into a very empathetic and responsible conversation with, their, with the people they deeply care about. So we have actually educational com- uh, universities, educational companies, uh, our healthcare companies, uh, as well as just general actually consumer-based companies uh, uh, using our, are using our products to better their bonding, to better their relationships with their customers and employees. Congratulations they can find us, that. Yeah, thank you. So they can find us easily at juji.io, right? J-U-J-I.io. And any of your, uh, how can people track you down, follow what you're up to? Is there any place where you write or maybe on YouTube that you communicate on? Yeah. So uh, thank you for asking this one. So I actually plan because I, I gave a quite a few talks uh, over the uh, this year and over the years. So I actually I'm going to start um, kind of so-called the chatbot uh, AI-based chatbot column on media. So uh, just uh, look for Michelle Zhou. So I'm going to start uh, a series of articles exactly like what you're talking about, uh, design patterns and how did you actually uh, make chatbots uh, empathetic, but uh, responsible at the same time to really help ourselves to help others beautiful well i'll be sure to put all that into the show notes michelle and uh as and when you get some other things you'd like me to add in i'll be happy to retrofit them back in been a pleasure to have you on the show michelle really thank you for your time thank you for the work that you're doing it's very important work and uh, look forward to staying in touch thank you very much for the opportunity and stay in touch Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes. 
to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.